What's up, guys? Welcome to Made for Profit, a podcast where we talk business in the shop and help you monetize as a maker. Each week, we'll cover the topics most important to you, from marketing and selling your products to winning on social media and everything in between. I'm Brad Rodriguez, a full-time content creator running FixThisBuildThat.com, and my co-host, John Malecki, runs a full-time furniture company and its content site, JohnMalecki.com. Over the past few years, we've seen the value of bouncing ideas back and forth, and we want to bring you into the conversation and help you grow along with us. Welcome to episode 22. In this episode, we're back with another interview, and in this week's episode, we are diving deep with a legend in the YouTube and woodworking space, the one and only Mark Spagnolo, The Wood Whisperer. Uh, the Wood Whisperer has over 420,000 subscribers on YouTube, 600,000 page views a month over at thewoodwhisperer.com, and over 240,000 likes on Facebook. He is definitely a legend. Yeah, Mark has been producing content online for over a decade now. He's an author, podcaster, video producer, and woodworking enthusiast. Also developing products and courses with his online guild, Mark is quite the little entrepreneur as well, and he is in all things woodworking. In this episode, we get some awesome insights on self-evaluation, transitioning careers, building an online content business, and running your own race. Brad and I learned a ton from this interview, and we are stoked to bring it to you guys. Absolutely. But before we get into it, we'd like to quickly thank a new member over at the MFP tribe over on Patreon, uh, Justin Lemojis. Sorry if I butchered that. Uh, if you want to also be a Patreon supporter and get our after show, you can head to patreon.com forward slash made for profit to check that out. But without further ado, let's jump into the interview with Mark Spagnolo. All right, well, we are here with the godfather of video woodworking, Mark Spagnolo, the Wood Whisperer. Mark, thank you so much for being on the show, man. We are, are so excited to talk to you today. I'm excited to be here, man. I'm a big fan of the show and I uh, like what you guys are doing. So it's great to be a part of it. Yeah, and as we, and, and we uh, mentioned your name on the show before, so Mark is a made-for-profit patron. And so thank mm-hmm. you so much for that, Mark. And uh, we, we really do appreciate your support. And, and obviously, uh, your podcast over there, Wood Talk, is you know the longest-running. <laughs> what, what, how many episodes you got, uh, guys on now? Uh, far more 400%? than we should have. Um, we're, we're, <laughs> we're, we're into the 400s. I mean, there was a period of time in the beginning where we were maybe every maybe once a month we would do a show. It's like, hey, uh, Matt, you want to do a show this this month or no? And we would do a show and then probably not do another one for another month. But it wasn't until like a couple of years in we started to take it seriously. And then we did even two shows a week at one point. So uh, the number is kind of it's a lot, but I think it should actually be more (laughs) for a podcast that's been around that long. Uh, (laughs) But ultimately, yeah, it's it's been around for probably like uh, eight, eight years, nine years, maybe. That's awesome, man. Yeah, and and I'm absolutely sure that uh, most of our followers listen to you guys. If if you guys are not listening to Mark uh, and Shannon and Matt over there at Wood Talk, go check them out. If you are at all interested in woodworking, it is an awesome podcast with lots of hilarity and poop jokes. Right? I mean, <laughs> yep. I think that's basically the it's pretty the immature basis of a podcast. I mean, we try to stay on topic, but you know, sometimes poop just rears its ugly head. <laughs> it's crazy how that happens. You have to address it. <laughs> have to. <laughs> awesome. Well, I'll tell you what, man. We are. Uh, we are so excited to talk to you, like I talked about, and we're going to we're going to hit it hard, man. We're going to go straight into business questions. No poop talk, no varnish talk. We're going to go straight business. So, John, why don't you kick us off with some questions, my man? All right. So, um, so, Mark, we all know you have yourself uh, 
quite the impressive digital and online business now. But um, as most of us do, you know, you did start out trying to sell custom furniture. Um, a lot of our audience, including myself, you know, have gone through the trials and tribulations dealing with that. Why don't you uh, why don't you touch on just a little bit, you know, why you um, why you made the jump, you know, anything that pops up and um, and then we'll, we'll kind of go organically from there. I have a few things I, w- I want to get mm-hmm. into deeper, but uh, we'll kind of let you take the take the reins here. Sure. Um, I mean, first of all, when I listen to a couple of the recent episodes and I learn more about uh, John, what you do, I, I hear you talk about your primary bread and butter is your your business. You have installs to do that takes precedence over the podcast and over your your online offerings. And I, and I listen to that. I'm, I'm amazed at that. Because, I mean, when I started, for me, it was so much more physical labor, headaches, everything involved in dealing with clients uh, on, on the, the production side and actually building things uh, for, for clients like that. And once I got into content production, it was like, man, there is no going back. Like, yeah. this is so much easier. <laughs> and a lot of times, if I need to make more money, it comes down from sitting in my office and coming up with my next idea and then executing that idea. Um, so I don't it, it, I want to turn a question back to you. Is it a love for that process or because I would imagine where you guys are going and just the success of, you know, just seeing the things you do on online and Instagram, um, that there's huge potential for you, monetarily speaking, you know, no, no other things involved in that. But it seems like you could make good money doing these other things. Is it a love for the, the building process and simply working with clients is what, what pulls you back to that instead of pushing you into in the you straight know, content. Yeah. Yeah. My, for, well, on my end to, to flip it back, I like this by the way, <laughs> um, <laughs> is, uh, I thought we were interviewing Mark. Right? Yeah, I, well, awesome. I'll give you Mark, my answer. He's a pro. He's a pro gentlemen, <laughs> ladies and gentlemen. For, um, for myself though, it, it's about the people, man. It really is. Yeah. I thoroughly love, um, the interaction with an individual and bringing a, a vision or something that they've been dreaming about to life. I've talked about it before and I get a lot of clients looking for really unique stuff that they couldn't really find anywhere. They come to me to bring a dream to life and, and I'm that guy. Um, mm-hmm. I love that interaction and I get a lot. I'm fortunate to have a lot of those clients. Pittsburgh's a big, small city. Um, and, you know, I have a, a decent brand and, and a cool story. So people dig that. Um, but I'm really I'm really into that interaction. And it's getting to a point um, now where I am dealing with all of those headaches that you say. Mm-hmm. I mean, I'm on yeah. the computer way more than I'm actually physically doing stuff. Um, and it's a lot of longer hours. A lot of the um, behind the scenes stuff is really starting to catch up to me, trying to create processes in order to stay, um, stay functional and then carve out time for the content production. Because I, I love the content production just as much as I do the product. Um, the product side of stuff. And, and it yeah. is a very difficult balance as you touched on. Yeah. Well, for me, it was, you know, this, this wasn't an option at the, at that time, you know, when I started in 2005, or, well, the business started in 2004 and then the wood whisper stuff started in, in 2006. So I had a, you know, two, two and a half year period where I was trying to build furniture, trying to get clients and, and trying to spread the word of mouth and just make sure, you know, that re, that little refinishing job that I take on turns into an actual, you know, custom piece of furniture job the next time. Uh, and, and I, I was able to do it, but man, it was, it was hard. It was really difficult. And I realized a lot of this could be regional. Um, I was living in Arizona. I might not have been targeting the right areas, uh, you know, in terms of getting my name out there. Um, but it was really, really difficult because most people, I mean, at that time, most people wanted cabinetry. They wanted, uh, stuff that, you know, just, I don't know. Some woman had me build a dog pantry. I reference this all the time because it's just this giant, <laughs> massive plywood cabinet. I like talk about the most 
uninteresting thing I could possibly build. And uh, it was just not very satisfying because the stuff I was intrigued by, uh, the things that I was looking at other craftspeople make online and the stuff that inspired me, I wasn't able to build that because that's not what people wanted. And if they did want something unique, they didn't want to pay the price, you know, for decent quality materials. And it was this constant headache. So for me, it was it was like, you know, the veil was ripped off and this, this you know, huge opportunity was open to me as soon as I realized I could start posting stuff online and possibly making money from that. And I, I ra- pretty much ran as fast as I possibly could away from client work uh, to be able to make what I want to make and, and do it on my own terms. Uh, so that was a transition that took place in, in about 2006. And frankly, within the first few months of starting to post stuff online, uh, even back then, it became clear to me that I could I could pay my mortgage with this eventually if I continue pushing hard enough. Now, Mark, is that is that when when you did that, um, how did that interact with your your day job, your biotech? I know. Mm-hmm. Right. I mean, you obviously didn't start this. You started in a technical field. You were in biotech. And uh, what was that transition? What was that? How much of that overlap was there between each of those phases? Yeah, that'll roll us back to 2004. So I was working in biotech, uh, not completely happy with my job. I mean, I I went to school and got a bachelor's degree in uh, biology and I wanted to work in a lab. Problem was I didn't get a PhD. So the stuff I was doing in a lab was all quality control. It was like, again, very, very uninspiring work for me. Uh, And I got into management and then moved into a company that was doing something sort of tangentially related to what I studied. I was working on antibodies and I knew nothing about antibodies, but I was in a tech service uh, position sitting in a cubicle. And that's where I did most of my woodworking um, uh, education. I had a stack of woodworking magazines in my cubicle that I would read whenever my boss wasn't around. Uh, So (laughs) while I was doing that work, being incredibly unsatisfied with with my career, uh, I started to build furniture as a hobby. Uh, and then I would come home and, you know, just build anything that I could and start to learn as much as I could. And I soaked it up like a sponge. Uh, and that was the point where I think I didn't really like the idea of leaving my job. Like a paycheck is pretty nice knowing that like you have a job, you've got insurance. Uh, and it was my wife who was looking at my, just how I, what I was enjoying. And she saw how much I enjoyed being in the shop and, and how much I enjoyed creating things and how little satisfaction I got out of my, my job. Uh, it, it paid well. And that was the only good thing I could say about it. Um, so it was, it was really her pushing me to explore what would life be like if you just built furniture <laughs> and it scared the crap out of me because I'm like, I went to college for, for like this topic. This is what I'm supposed to be doing. And you want me to go build furniture? Like that's ridiculous. Uh, but she was, she was adamant about it and eventually got to a point where, uh, I was so, uh, disenchanted with my work that it was time to make a big change. And thankfully she had a job that was, um, you know, uh, good enough to support us and allow me to build a business in that time, uh, to, to at least get to the point where I could help with the mortgage. And frankly, over that two, two and a half year period, building the business, all the different things that I did, uh, none of it was steady and none of it would allow us to, if God forbid something happened to her job, could we survive on my income? No way. Like I could barely make up my portion of the mortgage with my job. So that was the uh, very difficult two and a half years for me. Gotcha. So, and I think that's really cool about, because I think that's where a lot of our 
folks are right now. You know, they're they're like we always talk about that, uh, and and it's cool because we have both perspectives. So John just jumped straight in. You know, John had had his NFL career, then came and did woodworking. I you know I just you know I think Mark, you and I are the, the same age, right? So I, it took me a little while longer to let the shackles loose, but <laughs> and believe me, by the time you're 17 years into a career, those those shackles are much heavier yeah. um, than than four years in, but. Um, but yeah, I think a lot of people are doing that. And it's, I really like your story there. Cause I think what I've heard most in, when I hear stories like this and, and just like mine and yours and, and other people's is that there's typically a, a supportive spouse. There's a spouse that either was like, that's like, you're miserable. Mm-hmm. You need to get, you need to go do what you're meant to do. And you're not meant to be doing biotech, you know, yeah. Brad, you're not meant to be, you know, doing process control and, and process improvement. Like, I think that's a really cool story. And I think that resonates with uh, so many people is that you're stuck in this job that's paying really well, but you hate yeah. it, you know, and then it, it takes somebody to hit you over the head with a two by four, uh, which is typically your spouse to say, hey, like this is enough's enough. Let's do this. Like, you know, I'll I'll, I'll take one on the chin for a while and, and support until you can get steady. So uh, that's really cool. Well, yeah. And I think, I mean, not everybody's spouse is going to be like that, unfortunately. Um, uh, but, you know, for me, I was just really lucky. She was super supportive of it. And, and to me, the best thing, and I told her this at the time, I said, if, if this works out, if I can make good on this, the best thing I can do for you is one day let you quit your job. And we finally got to that point. And that's now like almost five years ago that she was able to leave her job and, and work for the business full time. Um, but that's that's the, the if for any spouses who might be listening, that's the carrot. That's what you're going for. So support this person. Let them do their thing, because one day you <laughs> might be able to leave your job and then you both are, are going to be happy and living a, a very busy sort of almost semi-retired lifestyle. <laughs> I say yeah. semi-retired yeah, in the sense like through. you can do what you want to do, but you're still busy, <laughs> really right. busy. Yeah, we're three months in, and my wife's already like, "Okay, when 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 can I get yeah. out of here?" And I'm like, "Hold on, hold <laughs> we're on. getting there. We're getting there." <laughs> so, um, so from my perspective, I mean, I'm not I'm not married. Um, I don't have that burden, but I I completely can um relate to the the same things you're saying. You know, myself the the unsteadiness of income coming mm-hmm. from uh the product. Uh, sales side of things, huge, hugely nerve wracking for myself, tons of anxiety. I think one, one part from my perspective that, um, that you guys are touching on here is, is kind of that self-evaluation process that we've been speaking about in the last few episodes, Brad is, is, um, both of you had supporting wives who were able to see the things that you possibly may not have seen or didn't want to accept with the quality of life and where, where you're at with your job. Um, and that's why I think the self-evaluation is, is so important for any of us trying to do anything entrepreneurial. Um, and, and I use quotations there uh, because you have to be able to take your your um, your best qualities, right? And and, and use those. Um, and you come from something like biotech into woodworking is almost as crazy as the NFL into furniture making. It's there, you know, what what type what type of skills do you pull? Um, and and having the support of somebody else to help you get there, one, huge, and, and two, um, it can probably give you some awesome perspective. Why don't you touch on that a little bit? Is like when you made the jump, what was your uh, your self-evaluation process like? To, you know, like how, how can I actually do this? Like, yes, I make great furniture, but there's so much more that goes into business, right? Yeah, I think a lot of it was I was really just jumping in because once I, once I got permission to leave the day job, <laughs> it was like, oh my god, oh my god, oh my god, this is amazing, this is amazing. I mean, I would. It was weird. I had the, like a. I would love someone to do like a psychological analysis on this. I would have dreams about riding a motorcycle 
And I'm scared to death of motorcycles. My dad rides a motorcycle and he broke his femur at one point and had a bar in his leg, you know, for most of my childhood. Um, so I'm terrified of motorcycles, but I would have this recurring dream about riding a motorcycle. And it was around the time that I was leaving my day job. And it was a sign to me that like this newfound freedom was something that I just never expected to have in my life. So, so there was definitely a lot of self-evaluation on a very personal level as to how can I bring meaning to my life now? How can I uh, bring something useful to the world now? Before, I kind of felt like, okay, I'm helping researchers develop experiments and work with the antibodies that my company sells. Um, that makes, I, I see my place in the world in, in terms of what I do that's productive for society. But when you're out on your own and you go out into the shop and let's say you don't have a client yet and you're just standing out there and you're like, all right, you know, what do I do now? <laughs> what is my purpose? Um, so there's a lot of reflection. And now the thing was at the time, I don't think I was thinking too much about the, the business side, which I should have been, uh, because I didn't really have much in the way of a business background. While I was in biotech, I knew I wanted something more. So I started to take, um, you know, I went to night school to, to get my MBA. Only got about halfway through because I got really bored. And it was like, wait, I already left college. I don't want, I couldn't get my mindset back into that again. So I was only able to go about halfway through. But I feel like some of the stuff I got out of that MBA uh, course did actually put a little, you know, some little seeds of business thinking in my brain that I, that I didn't even realize that was happening. It wasn't like a, um, a intentional thing. It just kind of started to occur as I would look at what I was doing and I'd start to, to think about the money and possibly looking at advertising and treating it like a real business. And frankly, the hardest transition was learning the, the concept that you do in many cases have to spend money to make money. And for me, I was bootstrapping everything. I was, you know, like Brad with the, the Superman complex I wanted to do. And I still have to deal with that these days. <laughs> uh, learning to let go of certain things and bring other people in is, is one of the hardest things. Um, but I think it was a very difficult transition for me. And I think a little bit of uh, like listening to advice from you guys back then would have been super helpful for me uh, in terms of developing just developing myself and knowing where I'm supposed to go from here, what things I need to work on besides just woodworking. Like the woodworking was almost the easy part. Um, the business was the really hard part. And I, w I wasn't doing a whole lot to nurture that. It was just kind of coming organically as I, as I developed things. And, and mind you, I was pretty uh, like relatively unsuccessful as a furniture maker. And that's why I often tell people I don't really give business advice because I don't feel like I succeeded at that. Now, if you want to talk content business and we'll, we, you know, get into that stuff, sure. But as a furniture maker, that was really, really hard. <laughs> so, yeah, I, I think it's uh, I think it's interesting because your your barometer for success, whatever it might be, you know, quality of your product or income or amount of clients, you know, that is a very difficult thing to put your thumb on. You nailed that. I don't look at myself as successful um, by any means in that in that light either, just because I know there's so many people just doing on such a higher level. that are so much better. Mm -hmm. um, so uh, awesome. Awesome point there. One thing I pulled from um, doing a little little morning research and being a being a fan and, and a consumer of your content for a while was. <laughs> You know, the um, the your ability to teach, you know, was that something that you knew early on that you were going to be able to continue to grow on and, and go for? Because, you know, in that self-evaluation process, it's it's something that you see in in your own personality that you're like, you know, I, I, I maybe I am much better at showing people how to do something than I am at 
making something for them. Yeah. Um, I find myself in, the, in a similar light all the time. And I know you maybe uh, you were growing into like a management role, maybe back at biotech um, that kind of helped nudge you, mm-hmm. nudge you in that direction. Yeah, no doubt about it. When when I started to get people under me in, in the, the company I was working for, I had to train these people. And, and I was basically my entire life an introvert. I don't never liked public speaking. Uh, I was, ter- you know, teacher calls on you to do your presentation. I was the, the kid sweating bullets and the shaky voice because I was terrified. Uh, and even when I was in college doing uh, paper presentations and things like that, I was scared to death. But once I got into that position of training other people, it was a topic that I was really comfortable with. And it was more, it felt more one-on-one. Well, in most cases it was. Um, and I was able to sort of embrace this, this process of taking a topic I know very well and translating it into layman's terms for this person that I'm training. And I think that probably is what, you know, sort of, uh, bolstered that ability. Uh, so that when I got into woodworking now, something I really love a topic, I really love and understand, uh, explaining it to someone just became sort of second nature and then being able to explain it on camera while it is one to many, the reality is for the person filming, it's you and your camera. Like I know when you guys film stuff, do you envision hundreds of thousands of people out there? I don't, I see, I see a camera and I'm just the guy talking to himself in his shop. So, you know, it's, it's one of those things where the stage fright just kind of, it just kind of went away over time because of that. So, you know, if you look at some of my earlier stuff it's, it's not that great. It's, it's, you know, I I even for a period of time was reading from a a laptop with a prompting software. So I put my laptop on a ladder and I set this prompting software and I could read a prompt pretty well. Um, but ultimately it still seems very stiff and, and it seems like I'm reading (laughs) and I'm I'm paced in a way that's unnatural. Natural speech has an ebb and flow to it. Reading from a prompter has a constant that, you know, so it was very obvious, at least to me that I was reading. So it wasn't until even a couple of years into doing the Wood Whisperer stuff that I think I hit my stride in terms of um, just the natural presentation ability that just kind of came out of that. So I, yeah, I, I think the day job I can probably thank for for starting it, but it was really just doing it over and over and, and having people on YouTube tell me that I talk too much and learning to become more concise. You know, all those <laughs> things that we do to kind of just slightly adjust as you go and you learn and just be, hopefully become better as you go. Yeah, I love that because I think a lot of our audience, Brad, you know, they they don't know if they actually have skill sets from what they're already doing on a day to day. And and I know I struggled with that. It's like, you know, how can I take what I was doing in a previous life and apply it to what I'm doing now? I think that's an awesome example of something that's so small, you know, just a one on one interaction with somebody from a teaching standpoint can light a fire to, to literally change your life. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, I love it. So, Mark, let's let's get into the wood whisper a little bit more here. And um, so as you you know made that transition and you started, I think it, it's, it's a great story. And it'd be, I'm looking forward to hearing what you have to say about it, because it's a very different oh, landscape yeah. back then. Right. <laughs> so back then, I mean, it, it's you know, today you're trying to stand out above the crowd. There are so many people and everybody's making content. Um, back then, I imagine you're having to sell people mm-hmm. on the idea, you know, hey, I, I can give you advertising online. There's this new thing called YouTube. You know, they, we have websites like talk about that. Like how how did you go about getting your first clients and how did you make those relationships? You know, what what did you sell them on? Um, how did that work? Yeah, out for it you? was it really was a weird time. I think most people listening to this probably can't even imagine, you know, a world before YouTube. 
And this, you know, YouTube's only been around since what, 2005? And we started in 2006. And, and imagine, imagine a world where it was actually optional to upload to YouTube. YouTube was the afterthought for me. It was, and, <laughs> and in the beginning, my wife, she went back and tried to backfill the catalog. And she's like, why didn't you post this stuff to YouTube? I'm like, because it was 2006 and it, there was no reason to. <laughs> like, there were better video hosts than YouTube. Mm-hmm. And, yeah. and, and in 2005, they, there was no HD. So the first companies who came, who came right. out with yeah, HD yeah. uploads, it was like, oh, that's who we're going with. We're embedding and using their video uh, platform. And they're all long gone now. Uh, and obviously, YouTube, you know, uh, is, is the reigning champ at this point. Um, so, you know, back in that day, it wasn't obvious to these companies. Uh, YouTube, again, was just starting online video. Most videos were just a if you're lucky, it was some kind of like quick time postage stamp size embed on someone's site. And you could barely see what, what the hell's happening there. <laughs> um, so what we were doing was bringing a level of uh sort of a current vibe of what's going on with a young, with a younger woodworking generation. Um, we were using the tech, what, whatever was like bleeding edge at the time. And my, my wife and I both were big fans of other podcasts. And in the, in the early days of podcasting, when it was video podcast and audio podcast, now it seems like podcast is just relegated to audio content, but um, originally it was both video and audio. So we would watch and listen to these things and it was all tech programs. So we're listening to, you know, a lot of the tech TV stuff. And um, those folks are the ones who are really on the bleeding edge. If there was a new technology, we'd see them use it. And then we go, well, why can't this work for for woodworking? So it was actually really easy to just observe what worked in other uh, other areas and say, hey, let's bring that into what we're doing. So when we started to approach companies, like you said, the first part of the conversation is Hi, I'm Mark Spagnolo. I do a podcast. What's a podcast? <laughs> it's, you know, and they honestly did not right. know. So what, what we'd have to do is convince them that this was an area where they could get a higher yield for their dollar. If if they work with us, it's going to cost them pennies on the dollar for what it would cost them to advertise with, you know, let's say Fine Woodworking Magazine. Um, but we would allow them to reach an audience that isn't accessible by Fine Woodworking. Um, we were bringing in a new generation of woodworkers. We represented a whole new generation of, of consumers and people who are going into this new medium who were previously inaccessible to these companies. So I, I guess, you know, we did a decent job of selling it. And, you know, and this at the time was like, find the number on the website, call it, say, can I talk to somebody in marketing? <laughs> you know, and like, it'd be, I think it'd be a lot harder to do that today. Um, but at the time it got us right up to the VP of marketing and we explained the situation. Then we had a meeting in person and gave them a proposal. And next thing you know, we were sponsored by Powermatic. Uh, the, the next thing we did was uh, we went to AWFS in Vegas, had a chance to meet some of the folks at Festool. And after a few conversations and a submission of a proposal, uh, we were then sponsored by Festool as well. Uh, and this was all within like the first year of, of what we did. But it all came down to does someone in that company give a crap about this new right. thing? And if they don't, they're not even going to entertain the conversation. But if they do now, suddenly you got them on the hook because like you said, different landscape, there were no other choices at the time. It was either traditional print media, uh, possibly sponsor a PBS style show, which is like astronomically expensive, or this new thing that's kind of like a PBS show. It's video content. There's a possibility for, for product placement, but then also they have a website. I mean, it was, it was a, a new option, but these companies were apprehensive and we had to kind of pull them in. 
Yeah, that, yeah, that's, that's, that's awesome, man. <laughs> I'm thinking, I'm thinking of like, uh, you know, the original. Uh, you know, like like the cavemen, right? They're out there, like there's just bison everywhere. You know, they're like just <laughs> running them down. You're like, you're like the dude. Yeah, you're like, yeah. all right, I'm just going after these people, and uh, yeah, you're you're like the new frontier. And and now, you know, there's like five thousand hunters and one bison running around, and they're all beating each other up trying to get it. So, yeah. <laughs> I do like the uh, the visual of me uh, on a on a horse with a, a spear in my hand. I think trying to skew my my cu- my clients yeah, and customers. I think that would be good <clears throat> but yeah, Photoshop you're right. for the Woodshop channel. <laughs> for the Wood Talk. <laughs> yeah, let's do that. Yeah, it's it, and it is it is crazy because this kind of this stuff has evolved, you know, around us, under us, over us. And, and there's so many there are so many people who do so much more than we do, who make so much better content than we do. And the, the environment is so competitive. And I, I've said many, many times that if I were to start a channel today, I would be scared. I, w- I don't know that the Wood Whisperer could survive in today's market. And and the reason is I'm not aggressive enough. I, I don't want to do a weekly video. You know, I don't want to do the things that most people have to do in the world of content to be successful today. And part of it is I just I'm lucky to have, um, you know, a little bit of momentum from having done it early and, and having been there for a long time. You know, but it is a, a much more competitive market right now, and, and we are competing with each other's dollars. And you know, I charge a lot for for my ads, but that same company could take that same amount of money and possibly you know divide that amongst ten other makers on YouTube. And which one's the better deal for them? Well, it depends on their priorities. But for many of them, it's much better to spend that and get a wider distribution for their money. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, I think you bring a very differentiated product to the to the market as well. Um, just by the the personality side of things and how well you do it, like put the educational aspect first. Um, you know, going mm-hmm. back, I got started. It's funny you guys are talking like 2004, 2006. Like I was in high school, <laughs> like, <laughs> right? So like I was, uh, I I didn't even have facial hair. Like I was mashing my the be- the beard makes right? it look right. old. So I'm, I'm mash- mashing my face in the in the, my football dreams at that point. Full full bore there. But when I started mm-hmm. consuming content was was probably four to five years after that. So like the 2009 range. Um, I don't really know if still at that point, four or five years in, anyone was coming close to putting out the educational side of uh, woodworking that you were and still still continue to do. Um, so, you know, we talk about differentiating your product to uh, to our audience and finding that thing that, you know, what makes sets you aside. You touched on it there with sponsors. Uh, is, you know, if a sponsor wants to get a much wider scope and put their money in one place and get people that are actually buying their product, obviously you're going to be a better candidate if the sponsor just wants experience exposure and, you know, possible virality of a, of a video or something. Yeah. They might go with 10 different makers on YouTube and hope one thing goes and gets 5 million views on, on building whatever. Um, so I think it's, I think it's extremely important for, for people that want to follow in your footsteps or, or, you know, essentially people like myself and, and Brad who want to, who want to build like a, a real online business, find that part of it. That's sets you apart and really, really focus on it. I mean, you're not, I don't think you've, uh, how many entertainment style videos have you done? You know, how many videos that were just strictly for uh, start to finish build without, you know, doing the walkthrough or the, or the deeper dive into it. it it's, uh, I think it's awesome to see how like honed in on your actual product you are. And that's really tough for a lot of us. I know I, I want to do, I want to do everything. Mm-hmm. I want to do welding. I want to do leather. I want to yeah. make shoes. I want to cook. I want to do woodworking. Maybe, you know, if, if I get time, but you know, business, <laughs> but whatever it might be, I think it's interesting to see how focused you've been for so long. And I think that's where a lot of success comes from. Right. 
Yeah, it can. And it can also it's excuse me, it's very tempting to see what everyone else is doing and say, well, maybe I should be doing that. You know, and I think I think the trick is if you know what you're good at and and you know that, you know, for me, yeah, I can make a quick video. I can make a very fast video. I could focus more on getting shallow depth of field and I'm going to get like really special lighting, Mm. you know, just to make this look awesome. But the reality is that's not me. Um, My job and my purpose on this, this world is to teach people. And while I like to entertain at the same time and try to make my videos look, look better, um, doing a very quick three minute video showing you how great of a woodworker I am is not very useful to you. It might be Mm -hmm. entertaining, but For me, my time and my purpose is better served teaching you so that you can do the woodworking that I'm doing. And the trick here is when you start to look around and you see other channels and other people um, who are far more successful than you in terms of just pure subscriber numbers, let's say, it's very tempting to start to emulate what they do. And now what you are is someone who's just following a herd. And my instinct, if the herd is going that way, I want to see what's happening on this side. Yep. Right. So basically what I realized is that without even doing that intentionally early on, I started to see that I was I was diverting, even though I was kind of one of the first to be there in in the first place. I didn't evolve into what is probably the most common format of of content production these days. I just kind of kept going in my own direction that has a lot of scary aspects to (laughs) it, because part of it could be a path to to no success. You know, if you, if you don't play your cards, right. It's like, well, no, they're going that way for a reason because that's where all the people are, you know, but, but what I was able to do was continue to focus on this niche. And you have to be, if you're going to do that, you have to be confident in it and you have to be okay with your position in the hierarchy. So that if, if you look, I I explain it like a funnel. If you look at the video content, woodworking maker funnel, there are people who we know at the very top. Those are the people who are going to be found first on YouTube. Um, You know, Deresta is a great example of someone who I can to be an ambassador to the craft to pull people in their interest level is here it's very wide they're, the people watching may not even be totally sure what they like but they're just watching now as they get deeper into it they f- start to you know get a little bit more specific about their interests oh now they they decided oh you know what this woodworking stuff is pretty interesting my, my grandfather used to have woodworking tools i want to explore that and they go a little bit deeper and a little bit deeper and eventually they find the wood whisperer and this may be just the thing they were looking for because now they need full instructional content they're beyond Beyond the point that they just need to be entertained and I'm in here. So my job is to, first of all, thank the people above me because they're the ones who brought them to my level. And then at my level, how as a business can I make the most of my position in this funnel? And yes, I could look above me and see the people who have twice as many subscribers as I do, but that's their, that's where they should be. That's their their purpose is to have that many subscribers because of the kind of content they make. My purpose is down here and I will never have ever have the kind of subscribers those people have because that's not the kind of content I make. But here's the thing. As people get more interested in something, they're also more willing to sit through longer things. They're also willing to pay for things. And that's where where I'm able to pay, you know, a three person business and it's totally just a small business, but we have three employees and my entire family depends on this business because we're able to be happy at our position in that funnel. Yeah. It's, it's, I mean, it's a perfect example of a tribe, Brad. What do you yeah, think? Yeah, that is a, yeah, familiar, it is. Huh? And I, I, I just, <laughs> I absolutely love that perspective, Mark. That is just a, a, a great way that you just articulated about 
the whole funnel. John and I talk about the sales funnel, but we typically are talking that more individualized. Um, you just took it to the more yeah. broader, the woodworking funnel, right? And, and even the maker funnel, if you want to go that way, because you're right. Like somebody that watches mm-hmm. Jimmy Duresta, uh, you know, turn a log into a chest or or make a, an axe out of aluminum uh, does not have in mind, you know, making a high boy or making, you know, some fine piece of furniture at that moment. But yeah. as their interests go and as it filters down, um, I really love that. And I also... Uh, you know, just hearing you talk about uh, going countercultural, and <laughs> and so the, the, as soon as you started talking about that, the first thing that thought of mind was like, you know, I know you're you're also a risk taker in the sense of you're not afraid to go out there and and do something different. Um, and I, you know, the the picture that will forever be emblazoned in my brain, unfortunately, um, is you in a negligee wearing a wig. <laughs> <laughs> on one of your videos. Oh, yeah. <laughs> one of my better days. Yeah. So, <laughs> yeah. So that, you know, that you're, you're out, you're not afraid to take a risk and be like, Hey man, I'm just having fun. And I think that's one of the things that, uh, I think is very endearing and people love about you is your sense of humor. And so it's not only that you're bringing education to the table, you're doing it in a way that, you know, it's like, you're talking to your buddy or it's you're, you know, it's, you're not that dull teacher, like Bueller. Bueller, <laughs> you're, yeah. you're out there hamming right. it up and, and having fun. Uh, and, you know, you, you definitely had a heyday where you were just really getting wacky. But as you see that, um, you know, was that an intentional? I mean, I know you've talked about it and I, I have definitely hear, heard you talk about, you know, that's just your personality and putting that forward. But um, mm-hmm. was there when you started doing the videos in the beginning, how much of that were you putting in? And, and like, did you start to see that as you added more of your own personality through doing these quirky things or making funny jokes that um, you got really good feedback on that? And you, so you did more of it or were you just like, yeah, whatever, this is just me and I'm just laying it out there. Yeah, well, I knew we were doing something different. Right. And and at the time, if you if you look at any woodworking content, you know, pre 2007, it's it was exactly what you're talking about, the Bueller Bueller, it's like good luck getting through a DVD that's 60 minutes long. You will most likely fall asleep by the end. Good information, but the delivery was just like... So um, when we were doing this, that was one of my absolute most important things was to bring some personality to it. Uh, so the only way I could think to do that was to come up with some goofy things that we would do and, you know, just act out silly things that you would never expect to see. And and what I wanted was this stark contrast. I wanted to, to do this really, I mean, let, let's be honest, a lot of it wasn't even funny. It was just like, what was funny was that this guy thinks it's funny. Right? <laughs> I mean, like, that's the funny part. This guy thinks he's funny. That's hilarious. Um, so it was it was this stark contrast of this guy who's, you know, ballsy enough to wear a, a woman's nightgown on his video, but then show us how to build this exotic babinga absolutely beautiful platform bed. Uh, this contrast of, of high quality furniture making with a personality that is like a 16 year old boy. <laughs> so, you know, it, it was, it was, and that is a natural part of my personality for my entire life. I mean, I was uh, a straight A student. I graduated, uh, you know, like I said, I got a degree in biology, but I graduated with, uh, with honors. I, I had a very high GPA. So I studied, I was a absolutely academically motivated person, but I also had crazy hair and piercings and tattoos. Like I wanted to be a walking contradiction. 
And I think I brought that to to my channel to some extent. And I'm like, you know, 40 years old now. And there's still we've toned down a little bit just because I, I don't know. It's like it, I, sometimes I don't I just don't feel like doing goofy stuff anymore. Um, but ultimately, there's always a certain level of uh, levity and again, poop jokes. I mean, there's things that are that will always be funny to me. Um, but I like to do that as a contrast to be that sort of walking contradiction of super high quality education and high quality information coming from a guy who's not afraid to like actually fart on camera and bring everyone's attention to it. I think it's interesting. Um, a lot of people think being like professional means just getting rid of your personality. Um, they, they think, you know, like you have to be this, uh, you know, suited and booted individual that is just falling into the crowd. And, and, and I, and I love what you're touching on there because I think, uh, Brad and myself have talked about this for years now on how both of us can show more of each other's um, personalities and, and our own type of content. Um, and, mm-hmm. and as well, you know, like I realize and know that people that are buying my furniture physically are buying me. They don't really, yeah. you know, anyone can build what I'm building um, for the most part, but they, they want, you know, that interaction with myself and we, and we harp on it a ton. It's, you know, that finding finding what you're great at, finding what makes you different, what sets you aside and, and really focusing on it. Um, even going back to like, we're recording this on Halloween, your Halloween video last year, I, I found it hilarious. I think you just reposted it recently, but like, there's just like crushing chocolate at the end and doing like goofy stuff. And, and you like you said, you're, you're 40 and like have a family and kids, but it's, it's not like you don't do it in your real life. Like I can remember your, your, your pizza video from a few years ago. Like that stuff's yeah. like real, like that's tangible. A lot of people mm-hmm. are afraid to do that. I think it's awesome that, um, that you see someone as successful as yourself doing it. And it, it helps to motivate the rest of us um, to do it ourselves. Cause, cause, cause I struggle with it too. There's such a disconnect with my business and my personal life. I try to keep like a barrier there to a degree. And then, you know, Brad and I hop on here and talk about drinking Bud Lights and eating tacos. You know, man, <laughs> yeah. And like, I won't, it's not in my videos. Uh, so, you know, there, there's little, it's, it's a, it's, it is, it's tough. It's difficult to, to bring yeah. that to the, to the forefront. Um, I think for a lot of us, so it's, it's, it's good to see someone crushing it, I guess. Well, and I think when you're dealing with clients, you're going to meetings, there is a degree of professionalism that you have to put forth that that may not jive well with beer drinking, taco eating, you know, uh, you know, the podcast talk. (laughs) But but with me, you know, as as far as what I've seen and what I've grown to sort of appreciate about about this line of work is authenticity. And part of being authentic is letting people see who you are on all aspects, whether it's good, bad, ugly. Um, you know, people who've been with us for a long time have seen me grow from, you know, just Nicole and I in, in our house in Arizona. We're now like three houses later. Mm-hmm. <laughs> we have two kids now. There are people who've seen my children grow. Yeah. So part of the goofiness that comes into my videos now, or sometimes it's just it's a slice of life sort of thing, like in the middle of a video, I'll pan to my dog who's watching walking through or my daughter who's on her way to daycare or something. So I'll have these little clips in there that like, it just makes people feel like they're a part of the family. And I get people who talk to me all the time who, who know me way better than I know them. Um, but they've watched me grow as, as a presenter, as a craftsman, as a father. Um, and, and one of my favorite compliments that I, I've gotten from a few people here and there is like, look, I, I've, I've become a father as you did as well. And I watch, you know, some of your Instagram stories and I see your interaction with your kids. And, and that inspires me to be a better dad. And I'm like, dude, now that's that's on a different level that I have never intended. 
And but if that's happening to, to anyone, that's fantastic. Mm-hmm. You know, if I can encourage dads to be more involved with their kids, yes, do it. Um, but yeah, I think it's it's a question of authenticity for me. And and unlike some lines of work, I can be tattooed. I can uh, make off color jokes. And and even though people have done this before in the past, if I go over the line, kind of like wearing a nightgown on a bed, um, I have had people be like. Oh, I'm going to contact your sponsor. This is over the line, you know, and and it's like, guys, my sponsor's cool. Just just stop. <laughs> the fact that I did this and then I showed their tools is actually helping them. So complain all you want because it's not going to make a difference. I mean, they, they know what they're getting into when, when they sign an agreement with us. Mm-hmm. But but I have never disparaged their brand. You know, I, I can be goofy and I could disparage myself. But as long as I still make their brand look good and I make great things with their stuff, I'm doing, you know, their brand justice. So, so Mark, I I like that. And it's, you know, continuing down kind of the the timeline and the journey, obviously one of the things that uh, is probably the newest for you, even though, you know, been around quite a while um, and was another direction in the step of diving deeper into that educational content and more of the long form. And like you said, niching down, Mm -hmm. if you will, uh, is the, the wood whisper guild, right? So, uh, the guild is, is where you sell and that is a, a fully paid site where you have instructional content for a video and versus having, you know, maybe a 10 minute video like John and I might have, or like some of your earlier ones may have been, you know, you have hours uh, of content that go through every single step of the build. And with that becomes a premium, Um, you know, walk us through that transition of when you started to to feel that that was something where you could excel at and uh, where you saw the market, you know, giving you signals that, yeah, this I can charge a premium for this and this is going to respond well. And kind of how was your thought process getting into that? Yeah, there, there was a point, I think it was maybe 2008-ish, where there was a trend in video podcasts and even audio podcasts to go premium. And what a lot of people were doing was they were taking their successful free environments, their free websites, and, and immediately slamming down a paywall and saying, oh, you like all this archived content? Pay us $10 a month and you'll be able to access it. And uh, this was a very, very popular and sort of common thing to do at the time. And a lot of successful, especially educational materials type shows. I referenced my, my friend uh, Izzy, uh, met him back in Arizona. He's a video producer and he makes a lot of uh, instructional videos. That's what he did on his site. And he had... He had a ton of great educational content for how to shoot better video. And he put everything behind a paywall. So now his paid service immediately had a massive value because it was all of this extra content. But at the same time, he had a lot of people who were kind of angry, you know, that he took all this free stuff and then turned it into something paid. So um, I was definitely influenced by that. And I wanted to go down that route of some sort of paid relationship with with my customers or with people, you know, viewers. Uh, but there was no way I was going to slam a paywall down over the woodwhisper.com. Uh, if that stuff was meant to be in the free environment, it should stay there. And I always saw that stuff as something of a loss leader in a sense, where this is the stuff that that could bring people in to the paid offering. And if I remove it, there goes all that SEO, you know, there goes all of the, the stuff that I've worked so hard to create. So, so we decided that we would start some kind of a paid venture. And, and the reason we did this was, bec- uh, aside 
from that influence, the writing was on the wall with uh, Festool as a sponsor at the time. They were going through some internal changes and our, our relationship with them as a, a big ticket sponsor was starting to come to an end. So, uh, you know, in conversations with my wife, we're like, what are we going to do? I mean, sponsors, like it or not, are fair weather friends. When everything's good, here's the money. But if somebody comes in and says, you know what, I don't think we're going to go in that direction anymore. Uh, the next thing you know, that next check just isn't there. And you can't, you know, raise a family with that kind of a, a relationship. It's very difficult. So to create something steady, we figured we would we would try some kind of a paid environment. My first idea was let's make like a coupon club. Like we'll have a bunch of people pay a yearly thing and then we'll approach sponsors and say, you know, can you guys give us discounts on your products because we have this much purchasing power. And I was trying to, to do it and frankly, the laziest way possible and trying to give people those sort of extra benefits and, and be members of this club. And, and eventually I got to a point where I'm like, that's dumb. Like it's been done before and I don't think it's going to work. What people want is content. So what can I do? And I looked at what I had done previously on the, on our free site. I've got some videos early on that were like 12 part, 13 part series on, on a whole build. That was actually the genesis of a guild project. And I didn't even realize it at the time was that, well, you know what? The free environment doesn't necessarily want that much detail. I have to be a little, I have to be higher in that funnel, right? On the free side of things, because then I can drive people into my own lower portion on the funnel with my own content, you know? So it was this natural self-feeding thing. Uh, So I basically decided I would take bigger projects, maybe not even bigger projects. I would just take more time to take a a novice who wants to build this project or even someone who's more experienced, but show them every detail. I'm not leaving anything out. I'm not here to bore the crap out of you, but I will take you through every step and show you how this is done. Basically a video instruction manual for building a project. And that was where we started to, to differentiate the guild as, as a different type of content than what we put on our free site. But again, it's all about that funnel. You know, my free site is my higher portion of that funnel, that higher uh, echelon of the funnel. Uh, and then the guild is just drilled down a little bit deeper. And, and that's what we do. We just cover uh, projects and topics in depth. It really, truly is for the people who just want to be better woodworkers and get into fine woodworking. Um, and I also should mention, we do have, just came out with it not too long ago, a free tier so that people who actually want to see what it's about, because that's that's the trick. People are like... There's so much good free content. Why the heck would I pay you, you know, to, to, to give me video when I can get so much for free? Um, well, we made a free tier and we, we made some picture frames as examples. Very simple project. But the idea is for you to go in there and see what it is. I don't want people to buy and be disappointed. Uh, so this allows people to go in for free and, and see what this whole thing is about and see if that type of content is the type of thing you're interested in and you might think is worth paying for. Yeah. And, and uh so having a new product and, and you know, John and I are just kind of going through this. We did uh, obviously our pricing guide and we we're having a lot of conversations on how to price the pricing guide uh, and how to do that. <laughs> so as you were introducing you this, use the pricing guide for that, <laughs> I know I wish we could. Yeah, <laughs> it's like, how much is the pricing guide worth? Uh, so if if you look at it from that perspective, when when you were thinking about pricing, how did that work for you? Because all of a sudden you said, OK, I've got this free um, you know, did you use, cause back then, right. It was DVDs. DVDs were the big thing. And, and, yeah. uh, and I know you, you actually sold DVDs <clears throat> and you still do, which I love, yeah. uh, I love the, uh, well, we still, we still, still sell the stock that we have been able the, to sell. <laughs> I will never right. sell another actual, I will never have more DVDs made. Let's DVDs put it that made. Way. 
Right. So when you're looking at pricing this new piece, like, you know, how did that work? And how, how, how have you since come? Like, where did you start on pricing? Did you start too high? Did you start too low? Did you uh, kind of, if you build it, they will come? Or did you have a test market? Like, how did that work out for you when you're doing something so new and, and um, yeah. you know, to yourself at least? And did you have other benchmarks out there that you looked at? Well, in the beginning, um, I wanted to price things lower and my wife was always like, no, more, 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 more. And I had, you know, there was only a certain comfort level, you know, that I, I just wasn't comfortable saying, Hey, you guys should be paying me this much money for this stuff. Uh, so again, my wife is really good at pushing me to go to the next level that I'm not comfortable. And that's a very, a good thing to go to areas you're not comfortable. Um, but she was right again. And we started, I think, Man, I even have some old um, images. I'm trying to find them because I can't remember the numbers, but I've got old advertisements where I would uh, talk about what they were going to get for their money. And we would have like a six month membership and a one year membership. Um, But it was always from the beginning, especially after talking with my wife about it, it was always going to be. I I don't want to say expensive, but more expensive than most people are willing to pay. And it was very intentional. And what I, what I looked at was I didn't want to compare these to DVDs. I didn't want to compare these to, um, I don't know, uh, like a, I'm just trying to think of other ways yeah, at that time that people had as like options, realistic options. Uh, essentially, I saw these as woodworking classes. So when I looked at my pricing, I wanted to be competitive with woodworking schools. I wasn't competing with YouTube. I wasn't competing with the, you know, fine woodworking or pop woodworking with their DVDs that they offer. Uh, You know, and fine woodworking has, I believe it's like 30 bucks or 40 bucks a year for their premium video content. If you want to get that from their website. And that's not where I wanted to be. I wanted to look at a woodworking school. And what do you charge for a one week class to go and learn every detail to to sort of get this uh, education catered to your needs to build a very specific project? That's the price that I'm competing with. And that can cost you upwards of a thousand dollars if you want to go and you have to travel there and pay for all. Like there's so many expenses to take that class. But here's an online course that is something you can download, something you could pause, rewind, email the instructor. I mean, I've taken classes where once you're done with the class, you know, good luck trying to get a, a question answered by that instructor. They have no obligation to you whatsoever. Uh, I wanted to create something where I would be there for people ongoing and indefinitely as members of this thing. So that's where my pricing strategy came from. And uh, and from so from the beginning, we were always a premium product. And it was, you know, usually over a hundred dollars a year is what it would come out to. And now the format's changed a little bit. We don't necessarily have a yearly price. People are just kind of buying projects and they could buy a year's worth of projects in a bundle. It's easier for us to do that. Uh, but they're still paying $150, $160 for a year's worth of, uh, of projects, which for the amount of detail they're getting and the quality of that instruction is an absolute steal. Not for people who want to just watch free videos, certainly, but for people who are willing to start investing money in their woodworking education, it's an absolute bargain. Yeah, I feel like that's super common in any digital education space. I mean, I'm I'm a constant consumer of educational content across the board, whether it's photography, videography, and all the stuff that goes into all of our brands and businesses. But the minute mm-hmm. I, I touch on this a few episodes, um, a minute the minute I started investing money into my business coaching specifically, changed the game. Um, and I and I feel like yeah. that's you know for for a lot of us, it's hard to see. Um, one, taking that investment and, and then two, creating products that, that tailor to it um, from from all of our, our personal standpoints. Um, but I absolutely love it because it is 
you know, that it's that next level type education. I, I, your your guild mm-hmm. projects, even from just like the thumbnails on them, you can tell you just put so much more time and effort into creating something that is going to be a 10 year product. You know, you don't ha- you're going to yeah. you'll repackage it and rename it maybe here and there. Go touch back on it. But it's something that, you know, is going to last much, much longer than something that's viral in the moment. Um, so I love seeing this, the strategizing on both ends of it because some people just solely produce content to to hit for a week and then, and then I hope it jumps their numbers enough. Um, so both there's, there's, there's a market for both sides of it. Um, I love, I love hearing the, like the really deep, you know, funnel down, get that thousand person tribe model rolling for you. And and you'd rather get them to pay you a hundred dollars a year. Those, those thousand guild members or whatever it might be, um, over, you know, trying to just get, uh, something super wide. Um, so there's opportunity for both of those. That that's something I, I absolutely love, and I th- and I've I've been on the journey with you, man. Like I've been consuming your content for for a long time now, seeing all the shops, um, awesome. all of the all of the stuff you've been putting <laughs> out there, and, and it's cool to see it grow into um, what's 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 kind of like this like woodworking like empire that's just funneled down if you really want to get good and find woodworking, and and I think there's a lot of uh, opportunity for a lot of people to to get in uh, something similar. I think what people need to to think about is like, you know, do a gut check and where do you want to be? Like, what kind of environment do you want to compete in? Uh, For me, nothing sounds more horrible. It's really it's it's early. I'm going to say things that are dumb. Um, (laughs) Nothing sounds worse than competing on this weekly contest to see who can get the most views. Um, That sort of market and that sort of methodology I cannot get behind it. Like if I'm going to spend my time making a thing, videoing a thing, that product itself and the video better have legs and it better stick around for a while. Um, this sort of disposable content concept and, and, and being basically uh, subject to the whims of the YouTube algorithm that is not satisfying to me. Like I don't create things for them to be, for them to disappear. I create things so that I can continue to show them to people over time. And I can't control the YouTube stuff. That's, it's going to do what it's going to do. But certainly in the guild, you're right. We've got projects. One of my best sellers and still today, one of the best sellers is the very first project I ever did. Uh, a shaker table just because it's such a, a, a basic fundamental uh, review of mortise and tenons, tapered legs, dovetail drawers, it's what a lot of new woodworkers are interested in. And this is a 10 year old video practically, and we're still able to, to sell it and make money from it. Yeah. So, I mean, to be the same thing with my Rubo bench, the Rubo bench is by far the biggest seller we've ever had in the guild. And I made that thing, I don't know, maybe six years ago, seven years. And today it still is my best seller. So when I look at the actual revenue generated from that one I don't know how many, it maybe took me like two months, maybe three months to, to film and build the entire thing. That three months of work in 2017 is still producing a good percentage of my income. And that's crazy, you know, to, to think that that's possible. So so the, the concept of making a piece of content and having it disappear into the ether just bugs the heck out of me. Like that that, that is not a satisfying thing for me. <laughs> so I think that, you know, when people have to decide, you know, make that choice, which, which thing are you more happy competing in, you know, and for me, it's more like a golf game. I'm competing against uh, my, my last best score. Um, I try not to, to, to compete with other people. I'm just doing the best I can. So on your, on your guild projects, Mark, and, and I love that thought too. And, and, you know, I know we've, we've talked in the past a little bit, Mark, but uh, I do the plan sales and mine are 
are you know entry level, right? So mine are under ten dollar plan sales. So it, it's a you know it, it's a kind of impulse buy, if you will, um, looking for a broader market. But I, I see the same thing. But I see that on the same thing, like my flip top and my miter saw stand are my like two biggest sellers, and those do really well. So you've got you know, your shaker table and the Rubo bench. Um, when you do a guild project, like do you have some that just bomb and you're like, oh, this is going to be great. Or are you at the point now where you're taking requests and so they all do well? Or, or do you have some of those duds and you're like, ah, oh, dang, I really wish <laughs> this one did better. <laughs> yeah, there's there's ones that do better than others. Um, bottom line is anything I make in the guild, if I think it's a decent project, a certain percentage of people will also think it's a decent project. Maybe not everybody, but enough people to warrant doing the work. So just based on the way that the guild works and people buying in ahead of time with the early bird bundle, um, they get 50% off because they're buying it so far in advance. Uh, a lot of people will just say, what, what the heck? I'll take a chance. They may not even love the project, but they like the instruction and they enjoyed learning how to make that thing, even though they may never make one. So even the duds are still worth doing. And you have to do the duds in order to have a wide variety of content. So I've got a, a good example is our uh, the Kranov display stand. Now we're doing sales right now. So from now through Christmas, we're doing uh, discounted projects, one, one a week. Uh, and this one was last week. So this Kranov stand is one of the coolest looking display stands, but it's totally impractical. <laughs> it's a, a very, it's a very unique piece of furniture. It's not something a lot of people are actually going to want in their homes. And as far as sales are concerned, yeah, we sell a few here and there, but that compared to the rest of the the projects in the guild is an absolute dud. And that one was a request. People were asking for a Krenov stand. So just because people ask for it doesn't necessarily mean it's it's going to be popular. Um, but I don't regret it because I enjoyed building it and I still do derive revenue from it. And here's the great thing about digital stuff. Once it's made, it's made, right. you know, and you do it's have to evergreen. pay for delivery and bandwidth. But as long as I can continue to make a little bit of money from that, that's far more than I could have made if I made, let's say, a free video and was counting that video's contribution to advertising, for instance. Right. Absolutely, guys. And if you want to go check that out, you can go to the Wood Whisper Guild, G-U-I-L-D. We'll have a link down in the description as well. So you can take advantage of those discounts. And I know uh, Mark's got a great uh, newsletter that you can sign up for, too. I I am a member of that, have been for a long time. And um, so, yeah, I I think it's great that, um, Mark, you always seem to be... um, have a firm grasp on, on the marketing with the, the, the sales. And, you know, you've been doing giveaways forever. You have the monthly giveaway that you do on the site. Um, and, you know, there's just a, a lot of really forward thinking on the marketing side. Um, you know, from that perspective on the marketing, is that just a, a trial by fire? Or are there any resources or classes that you've done to try to get better at that? Or, you know, is that something that Nicole really spears, spearheads? Uh, she does now. I think it's it's really a team effort. And uh, Nicole, her best, like the thing that she does the most is focus on the advertising and marketing. But, you know, we're basically a two man, uh, well, one man, one woman operation here. <laughs> and uh, so, so the thing that she does is take all the stuff that, you know, I, I'm the only one who could do the woodworking in this house. I'm the only one who could do the filming and the editing. That's what I need to be doing. So everything else, if she can pick that slack up, that's what she's doing. So um, between the two of us, though, when it comes to this marketing stuff, we just kind of bat ideas back and forth. This could be a dinner table conversation that we come up with a new idea for something marketing wise. Um, but ultimately, at this point, she's she does spearhead uh, all of our marketing efforts. Uh, and a lot of times she'll come up with with the new ideas and say, hey, we should be putting some time 
time into this. And uh, it's, it's, it is advantageous to have two brains on this stuff and two brains with two different opinions because, you know, we can experiment a lot and we can see if something works. And if it doesn't work, then we pull back like we can pivot and change, uh, which bigger companies can't do quite as easily. Um, so, you know, it's a team effort. But honestly, Nicole's contribution cannot be uh, overstated at this point. Like I would I would be lost without her. In fact, one of the reasons we had her go full time was because I, I started to do the math on how much money I was leaving on the table by not returning a call, by not sitting on the phone or not massaging a relationship with a potential sponsor. Uh, I don't have time to do those things, but she she does. She's able to do that and it yields results. It could be six months down the line, but the results come and then revenue comes with it. I think it's awesome. The more you keep talking um, about the 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 spectrum of, of your business is is how many like little things that, that we've touched on over the course of the show, Brad. I mean, just talking about perspective there from somebody else like your wife, for instance, to help you, um, you know, generate new ideas and really hone in on what's going to work and what isn't. We talked about that in a previous episode. I, I I'm actually sitting here and you guys are really selling the wife concept pretty hard. Huh? <laughs> <laughs> As a, uh, you know what? They're not, they're not all like this. Yeah. Just keep that in yeah. mind. They're all different. <laughs> but, um, <laughs> but, um, I, I think it's, I think it's, I think it is beautiful to see that you can one build a business and, and be an entrepreneur and, and, chase your dreams and do it with somebody else. Um, I, I love that side of, of both of your brands, um, in, in, in perspective from where I'm at. A lot of people, or, you know, get concerned with those things. They're like, you know, I have to put my dreams on the back burner for the family when you can actually put them in the forefront and in charge full steam ahead with them and in your, in your corner and really be Mm -hmm. successful. Um, so that's, that's something I, I truly, uh, admire about both of you. So congratulations with that guys. Maybe in 10 years from <laughs> now, we made for profits. You know, we're sitting on a stage. I'll have the same story and hopefully the wife story. It's like any basic relationship. It's a, it's a give and take. And I would, I would hope that everybody has uh, that healthy of a relationship that you can take those risks. You can allow the other person you can give before you get, you know, and that's kind of what that comes down to. Like Nicole's investment in me eventually yielded a result for her, but she had to be the one to say, you know, here you go, do this thing. I'm going to allow you to do this thing because I believe in you. And the fact that she believed in me made me believe in myself. And then I also felt the pressure that, you know what, I'm going to actually prove her right. And I'm going to make sure that one day I'm going to be able to say, you know what, you can quit your job now, you know? And it's, again, it's that it's a, it's a pay it forward thing. And that's a big thing in our relationship is to, you know, I will, will get her a cup of coffee not because I, she got me one yesterday. I'm getting her a cup of coffee because I want to get her a cup of coffee, which makes her want to do the next nice thing for me. And we have this forward moving thing in our relationship, not a paying back sort of thing mm-hmm. in our relationship, which is a little out there. But if you, I think some people might know what I mean. <laughs> it's cool. Very That's cool. awesome. That's awesome. Well, hey, man, we are we're definitely going. I know you have uh, some personal things to get to. But uh, what we like to wrap up with is uh, just a, a piece of advice. If you were looking back either to yourself starting out or to just young people starting out, either not young in age, but young to the craft or young to content making, you know, what's a piece of advice that you wish you would have known then or that you'd like to give now? I'm going to rob a piece of advice from a, an interview I saw with Tim Allen. So, you know, Tim Allen from Home Improvement yes. and uh, 
Hollywood guy. Yeah, that guy. (laughs) So I saw an interview once and he said, you know, in terms of creativity and doing things and your activities, um, you have to decide where you are in, in the pack and think of it like a race. And he said, if you're if you're constantly focused on the people who are in front of you, you're doomed to make the same mistakes they make. You're just going to follow them. And if you're constantly looking behind you to see who you're beating, you're not paying attention to the next thing that's coming forward. And you may miss something because you're so focused on how much better you're doing than the people behind you. So it's a matter of running your own race and focusing on your own path. You know, and of course, don't do it with blinders on. Right. You know, you need to look around and you need to have an idea of where you are in space. But you really need to plow forward and, you know, carve your own path. And that's where the satisfaction really comes from. And then one day before you know it, you're going to look around and everyone happens to be behind you. And and I, I so I mean that's taking it on a, a to a different level, but it was a piece of advice from an interview that I was like, I know this guy's like a Hollywood actor, and a lot of times it's easy to dismiss <laughs> what people in Hollywood say, but I thought that was really solid advice for anybody in any any field um, to to sort of run your own race, you know, try to try to to create something new and different and be true to yourself as you, as you do it. And honestly, I think that that would have helped me in the past, you know, because I, I, there have been times where I may have pivoted because I thought I needed to. And I saw something in front of me that this person was doing better. Maybe I should try that. And then it was like, well, that's not really me. You know, I don't enjoy that. And then maybe that wasn't the right way to go. And now I've screwed up because of that, you know, so running your own race, I think is what people should probably, I think it's good advice in general. Yeah, I dig it. Absolutely. I dig it. I think it's awesome. I was just going to say, Cam, coming from sports, that's something that you're constantly told. Um, you focus on you. You know, you can only get better mm-hmm. as yourself. Um, you know, you can look at somebody who's a Hall of Famer or whatever in front of you and admire them, but you you're you know physically incapable of being that person. Uh, love that assimilation <laughs> right. there. Uh, so yeah. so so really good stuff. Really good stuff. Awesome. awesome. Mark, it has been great. Uh, obviously, we we could talk for hours, but uh, you do have a family, and I, I believe you need to go do some <laughs> trick or treating or Halloween, I got a Halloween parade. parade. <laughs> Halloween <laughs> parade. It's a life life of the dad. I love it. Yeah. Uh, but man, just uh, thank you so much, and it's been great. Uh, it's been great being a consumer of your content, and then it has been just a privilege to also for John and I to join you in the ranks of content creators, and then even you were actually uh, actually just in Nashville the last week, and so we actually had yes. a chance to, to have a dinner together and talk, and that was just that was very surreal having you in the shop and, uh, and very cool. So, man, we really appreciate all you do for the woodworking community, and I know that our listeners are just going to get a ton of value out of this episode. So thanks so much for, for being on with us, man. Well, thank you guys. I really appreciate it. And keep doing what you're doing because uh, there's so many podcasts out there to listen to, right? You guys know exactly what your mission is and you're helping people succeed in business while doing this stuff. And no one else is really doing that right now. And uh, I love listening to the show and uh, hope you keep doing it. Awesome, man. Really appreciate it. It's been a blast. Thanks, guys. Man, John, that was awesome. It is so awesome just to hear from a guy who's been around for over a decade in our space. He just has like such a breadth of of knowledge and experience in here is just Man, it's just I, I could have talked all day with him, but uh, unfortunately we had to we had to cut it short. But uh, what were some of your takeaways from our, our conversation with Mark? 
So, so what really hit home with me were, were four things, uh, and we touched on them at the top of the show. Um, number one being self-evaluation. We're, you know, we love that stuff. Um, two, you know, transitioning careers. That's a big, big issue for a lot of our listeners and, and as well as both of us. Um, and, and it was interesting to hear his perspective. Building an online content business. I don't know if um, anyone's really doing it better in our space than he is. So that was some great stuff too. And then I love how we wrapped up with the running your own race, man. Like that is such a, a beautiful concept that we all hear around our lives and it's awesome to hear somebody who's doing it on their own. Um, so, so those were four big things that I took away from it. Um, I know you have some perspective as well, but uh, we, we could go back and forth on this all day long. Uh, just such a great conversation, man. Yeah, I really liked the conversation about the support on the, uh, you know, the career side. And, you know, we're, we're going to find you a wife now. So you can send those emails to Made for Profit. <laughs> John is soliciting <laughs> dates. and <laughs> no, But it's, it's just really cool to hear another, uh, you know, another dad and another husband um, who is going through similar things, but has done it, you know, a decade before I did it. And, and it's really cool to hear that support side. Um, but, but I think the one I really enjoyed the most was that running your own business. And when you look at Mark and what he's done, um, and like he said, you know, he's kind of run the other direction. And I think, you know, you and I talked about it with him was that, um, you know, I think getting our personality into it more, we've really talked about that and trying to do it. And, and he's just a great example of that, of, you know, staying true to yourself and, and not worrying about what other people are doing, but doing your own thing. Yeah. And we talk about differentiation so much on our show. It's awesome to see somebody who's actually implementing it um, into their own brand and their own culture built around their brand. Uh, you know, he's not afraid to show off his tattoos and his love for comics and video games, as well as, as we said on the show, throw on a dress and hop on a hop on a build. So uh, <laughs> it was it was really a cool conversation. Um, I absolutely loved it. Um, what I think I think the most humbling part of it, dude, is that my, Spags is one of our patrons. Like, how awesome is that? Yes, <laughs> yes, that that was awesome. I remember when he joined, we were like, "Wait, what is that? Yeah. Is that Spagnola? Did he just did he just become a patron?" So <laughs> really cool. So yes. So again, thank you, Mark, for that. And uh, yeah, man, I think those are some great takeaways. Uh, and we're really looking forward to having more guests on the show. Um, if there's somebody you'd like to hear us interview, uh, send us a note, send it over to us at uh, made for profit podcast at gmail.com, or you can DM, DM us on Instagram or, or leave it uh, in the comments here in the show notes. So um, again, thank you guys for listening uh, right now. We're going to head over to the after show and uh, give Mark another piece of content because he is a patron member. Uh, and we're <laughs> going to answer some questions from our folks over there. So again, if you would like to join the tribe, uh, you can head over to patreon.com forward slash made for profit. All right, John, you ready for this after show? Oh, something's got to get punched in the face. And I think it's going to be this after show. Yeah, I think it is. And today is probably a pumpkin because today is Halloween. We released our last one on Halloween. We're recording on Halloween today. Let's do this. So thank you guys for checking out the show. If you'd like any more information, you can head over to madeforprofit.com. We'll have our show notes as well as our email list subscription you can sign up for. There you'll receive tips of the week as well as all of our other actionable content. If you're digging the show, we'd love to get a five-star review over on iTunes and we would greatly appreciate that. If you have any other questions or suggestions, you can email us at madeforprofitpodcast at gmail.com. We'd love any of your input as well as any of your future show topic suggestions. You can hit us up on Instagram at madeforprofit where we will be answering your questions and giving out tips to help you grow on your own social networks. So once again, we really want to thank you guys for tuning in and we will catch you on the next episode. <laughs>